The Midnight Ride has acquired reams of 2022 midterm election data, and we're going to break it down. What do voters really care about? And did the Dobbs decision destroy the GOP's expected red wave? Plus, sanctuary cities in the North are whining like babies now that they've been given a taste of what Arizona and Texas are dealing with. We'll talk midterm polls and a Southern invasion. Come along for the Midnight Ride. It's Monday, September 12th, 2022, just 57 days away from this most critical of midterm elections, and you are listening to your home for misinformation, disinformation, also known as the truth, the Midnight Ride podcast. If you're listening to the Midnight Ride, thank you very much. Don't forget, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please give us a five-star rating and uh, leave a positive comment. If you're on YouTube, don't forget to click the like and subscribe buttons, and please tell a friend and my friend, Paul Runyon is joining me, Connor Coughlin. Paul, a lot went on this past week, the the passing of the Queen Mother, Queen Elizabeth, and also, obviously, the very solemn commemoration of September 11th. But how was your week? What I'd love to say is, before I get into all of that, is that we really enjoy one-star reviews from progressives. So if you are able to go in there and say, you know, these guys are so far off to the right, how dare they like the Constitution? I'm giving them one star. We love it. So go ahead and do that if you're progressive and you're out there listening. I don't think they're going to mention the Constitution. They, they tend to not like that document. That's true. They probably, unless, you know, they pro- think it's more like toilet paper, I think, than an actual um, document that governs the country. But speaking of places with no constitution, the uh, the Queen of England passing, that was a quite a interesting story this weekend, a real shame. I had the opportunity to go to England a few months ago with the children and teach them a bit about that history. And Queen Elizabeth, what a steadfast leader for the kingdom. She's going to be missed. Excited to see what King Charles brings to the throne um, in the neck in the coming years. I wanted to say this, the Royals, there's such an infatuation with them for whatever reason here in the U S and a lot of it, I think had to do with some of the family drama with lady Diana and the children. And now you've got this, you know, idiot Prince Harry with, with woke Meghan Markle. You know, when you go through the check stand at the grocery store, you always see them on the covers. And I'm like, didn't we fight a war to get away from this? But there's something to be said for the dignity of Queen Elizabeth as head of state, somebody who is apolitical, who just supports the country and is somebody, a leader that you can all take pride in, you know, that has an enormous amount of dignity, something that's lacking in a lot of countries around the world, including our own. And, and, uh, you know, I was sad to see her pass. And it's also lacking, I think, in the British government. They have a lot of the same problems that we have right now. Um, they got a new prime minister, Liz Truss, as as Boris Johnson resigned. So it's good that they have this the royal family there that's kind of this, this constant. And they do advise the prime minister. So we're going to see where that goes. But here back in the U.S., we're all about the daily political consternations that get people fired up and and at each other's throats. And, you know, I had the opportunity this week to go to this uh, conference. It was sort of like a, you know, like a GOP strategy conference. They, you know, they do these from times to time, just group of folks that are conservative and committed to the Constitution, getting together and brainstorming about what they can do. And I I had the opportunity to get invited to it this year. And we really learned a lot. Most importantly, I think we have some information on polling that I think you'll be interested in, Connor, as well as our listeners. And it's not just polling about the horse races, it's polling about specific issues. And those are really going to drive this election because it's not necessarily all about the candidate. It's about what do voters think is important to them as their top topic that impacts their life every day. So learned quite a bit and I'm, I, I want to talk about it today. Yeah, thank you, Paul. That's good. And I, I think we should start with those issues because, you know, the horse races, you know, if we look at the individual states, those are, you know, important, obviously. I mean, for the Republicans and the Democrats, each individual Senate race is the most important race in the country, obviously. But it's these issue polls 
that are going to shed some light maybe on the national messaging and just national trends. And I think we should start with those. Now, I deserve some credit because for the last few months, I've been saying, red tsunami, I don't think so. We've got some problems on our hands. And, you know, there are two issues that I think are going to come up with what you're you're about to say in terms of these issue polls. One, I think, is parental rights in education. We saw that in the fall of 2021. Terry McAuliffe was denied a chance to be the governor of, of a very blue state, Virginia, as Glenn Youngkin swept to the governor's mansion behind a wave of outraged parents with all of this attempted indoctrination of children, racist indoctrination, CRT, and sexual indoctrination with this radical gender theory. I think we've seen a lot of that just in the past week or two, and I think that's going to be a big issue that that Paul's going to tell us about, as well as, obviously, the Dobbs decision. But, Paul, what are the issues that Republican strategists are seeing as trend lines that that are good for us and and maybe some some real alarm bells that we should be changing our messaging on. So what I saw there was, I think, not a surprise on the top issue. So the economy was the number one issue facing the U.S., according to 39% of voters. So that was that became number one. Inflation was second at 32. So we had a we had a definite like top number uh, that we're both focused on those. And many people say inflation and jobs are the same thing um, or in the economy. So I think they're all kind of interrelated. So it's those pocketbook issues definitely as number one. What was alarming to me was what was the third most answered issue to be the most important. So remember, it's not like you could rank them. It was like, what is the most important? And you have this choice. 9% at number three was abortion. So that means 9% of Americans think that abortion is more important than inflation and the economy in the United States. That was a very high number to me because what we had seen historically was that it was so far down the list as an issue impacting Americans. And that has really shot up since the Dobbs decision. So there's some fired up, most likely young women out there that are uh, going to be turning out just based on the abortion issue. And you know, in these razor thin races, that can make a huge difference. So that was surprising to me. You also mentioned parental rights in education. That was surprising also because that was down at 2%. um, And it was below healthcare, crime, immigration, national security, and election integrity. So what does that mean? Does it mean that that uh, most people that are concerned about education are more concerned about inflation, jobs in the economy. It's possible, but it also looks like, are you going to have, what's that turnout? Are you going to have that group of fired up people go, going out there and voting just because of education? That I don't know about. And I was a little surprised and worried. Well, in Virginia, you bring up a good point. I mean, if you take your 21-year-old young woman college student, maybe in a blue state like Pennsylvania, which has a Senate race, or Georgia, which is leans red, but you have a lot of, that's that's up for grabs. You know, in, in Pennsylvania, abortion rights are not threatened at all under the Dobbs decision, but somebody who's been energized by the Dobbs decision may vote strictly on that issue, and they may not be paying for their room and board or their tuition or anything. So they're, they can vote on that because they don't, they're not burdened by having to pay the bills. Whereas somebody who is outraged by all of these woke teachers we're seeing, and, and kudos to Project Veritas for revealing a few more of these in the past week, it's very pervasive, this threat to our children. And people who have kids in school, particularly elementary school, they see it. And But they also are having a hard time paying the bills. Their home value may have gone down 5% since interest rates doubled in the past couple months. We have 8% inflation still, over 8%. So those people may not list education as their number one issue. But let me assure you that the outrage that a lot of parents feel and the mama bear protective instincts of a lot of Americans are very strong. We saw that in Virginia and New Jersey last year. And I think it's a factor despite what these polls say. 
I think you're right, Connor. I think that it is a little bit hidden. I think that that anger and that that passion is hidden by these polls. And we are going to see education playing big, big issue in this in this campaign. And the other one is, I think there are some positives that we can take from the abortion piece. So while you've got this number that is very fired up and is going to drive turnout, we did learn a little bit from some of these things that I saw from both the AP and Marist polls that are showing overwhelming majorities for common sense limits on abortion. So according to the AP uh, that was taken in June, it said 65% think abortion should be illegal after 15 weeks. A Marist poll also taken in June, 71% support limits on abortion after the first trimester. And according to another Marist poll, 76% want significant limits on abortion in general. So what that, I think, leads to is some important messaging that the Republicans can use during the election to help get some other folks up there and make the left seem out of touch. And I think those me- that messaging could be that the left wants abortion with no limits up to the point of birth, no matter what, and kind of pound that messaging home while the Republicans want common sense restrictions on abortion. So maybe not going towards the entire like pro-life stop all abortion period, which a, which a big portion wants, but you're going after that middle talk about, we don't like abortion, we think it's terrible, and we want some common sense restrictions that will make it very difficult and make women think twice before getting one. Obviously, this is a state issue, but I think those could be winning messages for the Republicans. Well, and I think a win, but let me just flip the coin on you, Paul, and say a winning message for the Democrats, clearly, and I think we may have seen that in Kansas, and we may see it in November, is the Republicans... They are the extremists. They don't want to allow a 10-year-old girl who was raped by her father, who was an illegal immigrant, we might talk about that later in the show, to be able to get an abortion. She had to drive from Indiana to Ohio to get an abortion. They are extremists. They don't want to allow for abortions in cases of rape, incest, or health of the mother. And there are some Republicans that don't. This issue just makes me sad because I think the Supreme Court rightly said this Roe decision was trash. It, it was not based in constitutional law, and, and this is an issue to be decided by the legislature. The legislature could pass a law very similar to what we see in, in European countries that allows for abortion in cases of rape, incest, health of the mother, and also allows for it prior to a heartbeat, prior to 12 weeks, And I think you would see an overwhelming majority of Americans support that. But this is an issue that both of the powerful wings of each party, which are the progressive and religious wings of the Democratic and Republican parties, respectively, they fundraise off. It is the most energetic voters, these 9%, are influenced by those extreme messages. And let me just say, the institutions of big tech and the media are all controlled by that wing. I mean, there was an article in Vogue this past week where Jennifer Lawrence, who is you know still one of the biggest A-list actors, was talking about abortion and how sad she was as she her child was coming to term that she didn't have the choice, that she might not have the choice to abort her child. Now, she did go ahead and have the child, but I mean, all of the voices that you're seeing on these young women are seeing on television are talking about how empowering it is to have the ability to kill your child. That's hard to overcome for Republicans. No, that's a that's a very good point. And I think it it bears that out in the way the Democrats have succeeded in making the Republicans out to be these crazy extremists, because I saw a poll that said. 40, uh, you know, at this conference that said 41% of Americans believe that the policies of the Biden administration are the top contributing factor to the country's economic challenges, followed by COVID. And that was by far the highest percent that anybody thought was the reason for what we're facing right now. And that goes, lets me to think that people are blaming Biden for what's happening right now, but they're willing to keep people are willing to keep them because they think the right wing is crazy. And that's being perpetuated, as you said, by big tech 
and the media, and that's going to be an issue. Let's look at a couple other, um, you know, issues that we saw here as we kind of, that I thought were interesting in these polls. So one was climate, the climate crisis, as the left likes to talk and mention the climate emergency that needs to be addressed. This one I thought was, was interesting. A majority of Americans, I think it was almost 70%, uh, see climate as an emergency and a crisis that needs to be addressed. So that was almost, you know, very high percentage on the Republican side too. And I think, I think all of us can say that we want to keep, I think we're very pro-environment here on the Midnight Ride. We really want, if climate crisis is a man-made issue, we do want it to be addressed. But what was interesting is 36% of Americans that see it as a crisis said they would be willing to spend $0 of their own money to reduce the impact. 57% say they would be willing to give up plastic straws. 23% say they'd be willing to give up hamburgers. And if you dig even deeper and you look at the different impacts of the dollars, so 80% are unwilling to spend more than $50 a month to address it. 61% are unwilling to spend $20 or more. 77% oppose higher taxes or giving up gas-powered cars uh, to fight climate. So people believe it's changing. Few people are willing to make sacrifices, and the sacrifices that they do make would have very little impact. So it does kind of show that that's another issue where the Democrats are making a big issue out of this thing, but Americans kind of will say it, but they don't really care that much about it. So if you can talk about the sacrifices that the Democrats are going to force on people to make climate change happen, that could be a impactful message as well, because you could then be showing, hey, guys, this is going to cost you a lot of money and most of you aren't willing to spend it. Yeah. And I think this might be a topic for its own show in terms of what it would take. I gave up plastic straws a long time ago. I try not to drink water out of plastic bottles. Well, hooray. Good, good for you, Connor, because I didn't. I don't like paper straws. They like fall apart in two minutes. I don't use straws. I think they're feminine. But, but in any case, <laughs> <laughs> nothing. There's not that there's anything wrong with that. You, you might want to show your feminine side every now and then. <laughs> but, you know, the economic impact of going green, you know, it's interesting as we see Western Europe in dire risk now that Russia has cut off, shut down the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. And Europeans do not have that natural gas source. Most countries in Europe went away from nuclear power. And it's just interesting to see how much it would cost to completely go green. For example, lithium batteries for EV cars. A lot of the materials needed for solar panels and lithium batteries, et cetera. I mean, China has the lion's share of those resources. So that's one thing. Just to get those resources would cost a great deal, and that cost would be passed on to the American consumer if China decided they didn't want to cut off those supplies to us. So we may have no choice eventually to, but to go either back to nuclear power, and California, I think, just recently delayed the closing down. They had San Onofre nuclear plant. They've extended that for five more years. The, the climate thing is something that I think American voters should be concerned about. And, and certainly a lot of places around the country have experienced climate events uh, this year. But that's going to happen every year. And really, I think these voters are showing a little bit of savvy. They know that economically it would be cost prohibitive for them and for us. So that's a little bit sad for me to, to say, but it's a reality. No, it, it is. A couple other issues I saw. One was uh, the issue of defund the police. So 77% of Republicans agreed that defund the police leads to rising crime. 59% of independents believe it leads to rising crime. 39% among Democrats. So you even have a, you know, almost 40% of Democrats think that defund the police leads to rising crime. I don't think, you know, obviously the Democratic Party, that may not be an issue that they solely vote on. But independence, 59%. I mean, keep hammering those defund the police, go back and get all those quotes on defunding the police. And they're still saying defund the police in liberal cities. Even in, in uh, Washington, D.C., we're going to talk a little bit about that city later today. But they're all still sticking by defund the police. And, you know, you're seeing these Republicans in these swing districts sort of on the ropes there, not making a commitment. And you got to tie them to that message. 
I'm alarmed by these numbers. I mean, 23% of Republicans don't think that defunding the police <laughs> I know. would lead to a rise in crime. And, and 40 That may be the libertarians. You know, it could very well be. You remember, the Republican Party has a big libertarian wing to it, which just doesn't like government at all and very ideological. And that, that could be part of that. Well, I, I got to tell you, this is an issue that Republicans need to drill every day until November 8th. In the city of Memphis, Tennessee, in the past week, we've seen the heinous abduction, rape, and murder of the young woman, Eliza Fletcher. I think she was a 34-year-old mother of two, kin a kindergarten teacher. And to see her brutalized and murdered in this fashion by somebody who should have been in prison. And we see it's not just defund the police. It's this idea of criminal justice reform, bail reform. You have a lot of very violent felons that are let out of jail early, not even put in jail at all. So the murder of Eliza Fletcher, it, it should be getting more play in the media than it is. But then later in the week, you had another guy who just went on a shooting spree and, and was posting it on social media. That lunatic was also somebody who had been let out of jail for attempted murder before he should have. This is an issue that is affecting every state in the union, certainly all the urban areas. And I think intuitively, every American knows that the Biden administration and the Democratic Party are to blame for this. And when people feel all unsafe, they're going to vote to change that. And I think this is an issue where the Republicans, in addition to education, crime is another one where we can make some serious hay. Yep, I 100% agree with you on that. You know, I, I heard about this other awful thing happen in California. I think it was like in San Carlos. Some, a woman was beheaded in the street by a man with a sword that had been stalking her and had a restraining order out on him. I mean, I heard that. And then also, Illinois is about to eliminate cash bail for violent offenders statewide. <laughs> They're doing it. The messaging is there. I mean, it's like we, we should be able to talk about this. These people in swing districts, they're being inauthentic, these Democrats. They are. And speaking of inauthentic, President Biden himself has been out. Maybe he saw the polling data that you just mentioned, Paul, and he's been out saying not defund the police, fund the police. So he he gets it. And maybe, you know, that's going to be an issue. I wanted to say one other thing. We have, we have a lot of listeners up in Canada as a result of the trucker protests and whatnot. And there was a, a string of stabbings up there, I think in Saskatchewan, where you had two individuals, I think they were brothers, that murdered like several people. Maybe it was 10. I forget the exact number. Maybe you know the number, Paul. But these individuals also had a history of crime. One of the brothers did at the very minimum. And it's pretty telling a couple of things that a confluence of things there. Number one, you're not allowed to have guns in Canada. Gun control doesn't stop people from mass killings. These guys killed, I think, 10 individuals. Number two, it was lax justice, you know, last lax laws that allowed these guys to be out because one of these guys had been in jail dozens of times. And finally, that they had because of their ethnicity because they were indigenous, Canada actually has laws that are more lenient for certain criminals based on their ethnicity. And if any of this sounds familiar to you, we basically have a situation in Canada where I think a lot of liberals, places like Illinois, California, they would like us to be more like them. No guns, more lenient for people based on their ethnicity. And that was a very cautionary tale, these two brothers that committed this mass stabbing uh, murder spree. Yeah, I mean, that's this whole thing is it would essentially create anarchy in the country, which is, seems to be where we're where we're heading. I mean, that act in Illinois I was just mentioning about the getting rid of cash bail. I mean, there's 12 offenses that are covered in that that include and one of those is second degree murder, uh, as well as drug induced homicide, arson, kidnapping, burglary, robbery. All of those you get arrested and then you're free to roam the streets a few hours later. So it's absurd. <laughs> yeah, and it's like the purge. I mean, people, if they haven't experienced it themselves, all they have to do is go on Twitter, you know, or TikTok, and they can see this stuff. So everybody should feel threatened by this. I think it's a, it's a ripe 
issue for messaging from the Republicans. Curious, Paul, looking at all of these voter polls and issue polls, what do the strategists that you met with, are they optimistic that that some of these issues can be messaged in a positive way? Because the Democrats, as we saw in Kansas, they're having some effect with this abortion messaging. But is there optimism, though, on the conservative side? It's not as optimistic as I would have thought. There are some other things that are a little scary. I mean, one is voter registration. So Republicans, you know, in a place like Florida, other places were having huge gains in voter registration. And then since the Dobbs decision, you had a huge increase in young women registering to vote. I think leading up to between Dobbs and the referendum in Kansas, 70% of new voter registrants in Kansas were young women. So, and you're seeing that in other places and in a lot of the states that have same day registration, like Wisconsin and others, you're going to see that as well. So that's, I think what they were thinking is probably like a 20 to 25 seat pickup in the House for Republicans. I mean, honestly, the Democrats have no chance of keeping the House. If they won all of their toss-up races, they still wouldn't keep the House. It's just the way the map looks this year. So that's pretty much guaranteed. But the the Republican majority is probably not going to be as big as people thought. But we got to keep hammering away on these issues. Another one I saw was voter ID. I mean, you had 95% support for voter ID among Republicans, 83% among independents, 71% among Democrats supporting voter ID. So this is another one where the progressives are completely out of touch, even with their own party. So that's another issue that we can keep hammering on as we lead up to this election. And one that we can talk about where in these states where ID is not required, they're not having fair elections because even Democrats and there are, you know, people in their own party think there need to be voter ID. So that's a big one. So that's and that's a good opportunity, I think, to shift now to these individual races and voter ID. And one of the candidates who Paul Runyon was telling us was a racist uh, two shows ago is John Fetterman, who is running for the Senate race in Pennsylvania. He has a, a racist past and he recently came out and said that voter ID should not be required because black Americans can't be expected to get an ID card. Now, as we know, a majority of black voters absolutely reject that. And all Americans pretty much agree that it's not hard to get an ID. You can't do much in society without one. But apparently John Fetterman thinks that blacks can't get one. How is that race in Pennsylvania looking? It seems to be as bad as Oz has been. He seems to be making some gains. He is. There is a little, we are seeing some changes now in that race. I mean, I'd say, you know, a few weeks ago, Fetterman, we saw him up like 10 points. There was one that had him up 15 points. Now we have some recent likely voter polling that's now showing Fetterman up by five points, still outside the margin of error, but closer. I think what is happening in Pennsylvania is two things. Number one, Mitch McConnell has raised $180 million for the Senate races. And he started to deploy that. And that's starting to make a difference around the country, which I'll talk about in a minute as we go through some of these races. Um, The other one is his health. You know, Fetterman did not want to debate Oz. Uh, That was hurting him. I think he's people are really starting to focus on his health because he's having trouble speaking uh, out on the campaign trail. He's sounding disjointed. And I think voters are really thinking that Fetterman may not be up to the task from a health standpoint. And I know that a lot of people are like, well, you can't say anything because of somebody's health, but that is fair game. I mean, if you remember Trump, people were talking about, oh, look, he was shaking when he was holding a glass or did he had to grab this railing when he was walking down. So health is a big issue among voters. People do not want to have a someone representing them that is of poor health. That being said, most of the people think that that is not a winnable race. Well, but the longer that this goes on, I mean, the health stuff, that's a line of partisan attack with the Trump and the water glass or Hillary Clinton with the weekend at Bernie's, you know, throwing her in the car kind of thing. But John Fetterman cannot speak coherently for long periods of time or even short periods of time if he's not on prompter. I think independents look at that and say, this guy is going to represent me. I don't think so. Also, neither candidate really has much of a history in terms of big political office, but one of them has a history of racism and 
stupid statements. And so I'm I'm starting to get optimistic now about <laughs> about that race. But let's go through some of the other races, Paul. What what do you think some of the other races say? And and are we seeing gains for the Democrats or the Republicans? Let's talk about Herschel Walker in Georgia. Yep, we're seeing some definite momentum for Herschel Walker in Georgia. Recent polls that just came out the other day have Walker plus three, according to a Fox 5 insider advantage poll. Uh, Also, we're seeing him uh, in some other polls up a little bit as well. So that, you know, we were seeing Warnock up. Now we see Walker up, still very close, still within the margin of error. What some people are thinking there is that he is really getting helped a lot by Brian Kemp. Stacey Abrams is running an absolutely awful campaign. She's obviously a good political operative, but as a candidate, she's absolutely terrible. That same poll has Kemp plus eight. And what people are thinking is you're going to know whether Walker can win based on how well Brian Kemp does. So if he wins governor's race by four points or more, Herschel Walker can probably pull that one out. So, you know, Walker himself, not an amazing candidate, but he's being helped a lot by Kemp. And that could be a possible pickup for the Republicans. So even if we lose Pennsylvania, which would be, you know, obviously a loss, we can even that out with a win in Georgia. So that one's looking good. Some other real interesting races out there, I think we need to keep an eye on where Republicans can get a pickup. Nevada is looking pretty good as well. Laxalt is in good shape. I think that 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 one is also interesting. Cortez Masto is not a good candidate, so he has a good shot of winning. Um, I think Arizona is going to be a little bit more difficult. It's really, that one is really tight. Kelly is leading within the, the margin of error, but Carrie Lake is looking pretty good. I think if she can win by, you know, maybe two points, then Masters could pull it out, but uh, people aren't as optimistic about that one. So there's a few races out there that it's going to be really close. Is Kari Lake going to get to debate her opponent? I, I see that as being an issue right now. Uh, yeah, we don't know. I mean, there's so many different things right now that are could impact that. I mean, a recent Emerson poll, just to give you a difference on that, how that looks, you've got Hobbs 46, Lake 46 in the Emerson poll. And then in the Fox 10 Insider Advantage poll, you've got Hobbs 44, Lake 43. So Hobbs plus one. So that really could go either way. But in those same polls, you have Kelly plus two and then Kelly plus six. So you can see the difference there that that Lake is polling ahead of Masters. So you're really going to need Lake to pull that out because it's these governor's races can often pull the senators with them. Yeah. Uh, well, Hobbs, I, I had heard, had not agreed to debate Kari Lake. It's, it's always a red flag, whether it's Fetterman or Hobbs. Anybody that says, I don't want to debate somebody, that is usually a, a red flag for me. They might be hiding something. Uh, one race, so I've, I've donated a couple times to Herschel Walker. One other is Marco Rubio. And you had said that there were troubling signs for Rubio. Is he in trouble, Paul? Well, he's definitely not losing in any of the polls. But you're looking at Rubio up anywhere from two to three points, which is closer than what I would have wanted right now. So... That's a little scary. DeSantis running a few points ahead of Rubio. I think in the recent Fox 35 Insider Advantage poll, you had Rubio plus two and DeSantis plus five. So I don't think Rubio is going to lose. But if Florida is really close, I think that could fire up Democrats going into 24. So we definitely don't want Democrats to think that they can win anything in Florida or even get within, say, 100,000 votes. I think we really need to see Rubio winning by at least three points to keep the Republican momentum going. So that's obviously an important one. And Ted Budd is in a close race in North Carolina uh, with Beasley showing him up three right now. I think he can hold on to that. I think Budd's a good candidate. As I've said, this Mitch McConnell Senate money coming in is going to be is going to be huge. And that is just getting deployed now. So I think that we're going to to have some positive news in North Carolina. The other one is Wisconsin, where Ron Johnson is, is running. Uh, he's losing. So, I mean, I don't know if he's going to pull that one out or not, but that is a, 
that's going to be a tough one. So, I mean, at this point, I think the the 538 or averages have Democrats being slightly favored to hold the Senate right now. I think if you you, you do all their math, I think they come in with like 50.8 seats, which means things either stay at 50, 50, or they pick up one seat. Winning the Senate is no sure thing right now. Well, Midnight Ride listeners, if you have any money to spare, uh, it sounds like Johnson and, and Masters are candidates to donate for and, and, and certainly root for. Um, I want to go back to the issues real quick, Paul. Did immigration come up as an issue that voters were concerned about? It was. Um, it was a, let me pull back my poll numbers here that I, that I had had and see if I can get those. It was definitely on the list, but it was, it was 5%. So it was, you had abortion at 9%, you had healthcare at six, crime at six, and then immigration at five. So, you know, 5% of Americans think that immigration is more important than the inflation jobs in the economy. So still, so obviously not the most important factor, but a important factor. Well, when we come back, we're going to explain why we think that 5% number is going to increase in the coming months. We'll talk the Southern invasion and Northern states complaining about Governors Ducey and Abbott when we come back on The Midnight Ride. The governors of Texas and Arizona have turned us into a border town. We don't know how long this will take to resolve. We don't know how long they will continue busing. That clip right there was Democratic District of Columbia City Councilwoman Brianne Nadeau responding to about 4,000 migrants that have been bussed to D.C. by the governors of Texas and Arizona. Paul? Well, it's interesting that, uh, you know, she's mentioned border states, right? Like the it's I think D.C. is a border state. It was a border state in uh, 1861. And it's becoming a border state now with the migrants coming to the city. And I don't understand. We're all border states in the U.S. when we have illegal aliens uh, flooding everywhere. And it's about time that cities that have been telling these states uh, like Texas and Arizona and New Mexico and uh, others what to do when it comes to illegal aliens are now sort of getting a piece of their own medicine and having to deal with this. What's really interesting about this is that Mayor Bowser has declared an emergency as a result of this. Um, so the city has received more than 9,400 illegal aliens from Texas and Arizona at this point, which is a pretty big number for a city with a population of 700,000. I thought it was only 4,000. Yeah, it's 9,400. And she's now declared an emergency which is allowing her to spend $10 million to establish an office of migrant services, which I'm sure is going to be a huge waste of money. And, and then she wants to get reimbursement from the federal government. I mean, what is it about progressives and always declaring these constant state of emergencies and getting these powers? Well, it's almost like a way to, yeah, exactly that, a way to get more power as a leader. And it's also a way to get money. Money creates jobs, which creates government unions, which creates more power. But in the end, the taxpayers get screwed and nothing positive ever happens for them. I want to, this issue, there's a couple things to it that I want to talk about, Paul. One is how big is the illegal immigration problem in the United States? And two, the brilliance of these two governors, and I think DeSantis was talking about maybe doing this as the governors, Greg Abbott of Texas, and is it Doug Ducey in Arizona? I guess that's that's who it is. They have decided that, well, their states are being overrun, so they've got to do something about this. They have decided to honor the statements and promises of places like Illinois, which declared itself as a sanctuary state, and Chicago, which is a sanctuary city, and say, okay, well, if you guys are a sanctuary, you guys can help us out by defraying some of the cost and from Muriel Bowser and Lori Lightfoot and Eric Adams has been comical and sad, to say the least. It's interesting. You know, in the last segment, we went over that issue of climate change in the polling where people see climate as an emergency, but they don't actually want to do anything about it. They're not willing to spend anything. That is what it seems like is happening in these cities. It's like they acknowledge 
it's an issue and they want to fix it. They want to welcome these folks. But when it comes to putting their money where their mouth is, they don't want to do it and they blame other people. And now they're sitting here calling Abbott and, and uh, Ducey and others hypocrites and that they're, it's being caused by people in the, you know, the whole crisis is being caused by these governors. And the reality is it's not. It's being caused by Joe Biden. He's the one with the immigration policies. Why should Texas and Arizona bear all the responsibility of this? It's not fair to them. And when they were demonizing Donald Trump for his immigration policy, which was light years ahead of Biden's in terms of effectiveness, while they were demonizing him, they were declaring themselves as sanctuaries. And the only one that's being a hypocrite is not Greg Abbott or Doug Ducey. It's it's these Democratic mayors and Democratic governors. I want to get into the numbers here for a second to give you an idea of some folks in Arizona, Texas, and other places are calling this an invasion, and it absolutely is. Here's the scale of this. Between 2012 and the inauguration of Joe Biden, the number of migrant apprehensions by the Border Patrol per month has averaged less than 50,000 migrants per month. And the majority of the, somewhere in 2019, there was a spike in unaccompanied children. And of course, during the Obama administration, there was a spike in 2015 in unaccompanied children because of some bad messaging by the Obama administration, and they had to ratchet that back. But under Trump, immigration apprehensions went down. As soon as Biden got inaugurated, and even before that, when it after it was clear that he had won the election, a mass exodus, places from the Northern Triangle of El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras started coming. And in the first- Wow, you're actually pronouncing those the way I would pronounce them. You were supposed to, can you re-say that? Yeah, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador. Okay, those three- Okay, thank you. Those three countries. In the first fiscal year under Biden, we saw 1.6 million illegals flood across the border, okay? This past fiscal year, which ends on which ends on September 30th, so just in uh, 18 days, it's already at 1.86 million, and there are a lot of family unit members and unaccompanied children as a part of this, but in the most recent month, it's over 150,000 migrants, actually over 200,000 migrants per month about 220,000 migrants, and over 160,000 of those are single adults. So this is the scale of this. We probably, under Joe Biden, and that those are just the people who have been caught. It's probably another 50,000 a month that are called getaways that, that they, they never catch. In addition to this, we've talked about the drug cartels. The Mexican drug cartels own the border. It's not the Border Patrol. The borders are controlled by cartels. They decide what gets in and out. A lot, of fent- a lot of fentanyl, a lot of other drugs that are coming in, as well as human trafficking to include young children that end up in prostitution. The Border Patrol could own the border if they wanted to. I mean, they have the, they have the technology, they have you know, the infrastructure, they just are not being allowed to do it. They're essentially leaving the gates open and ceding the control to the cartels. That's right. And they want to do their job. I mean, they have been outraged at the the actions of Secretary Mayorkas of Homeland Security and the president. But policies like remain in Mexico for asylum seekers, all of these illegals are coming across and trying to claim asylum. The preponderant majority them are economic migrants. They're trying to come here for a better life, and we don't begrudge them that. But the Trump administration was saying, look, if you're going to claim asylum, you will remain in Mexico until your hearing can be heard. The fact that the Biden administration eliminated that has led to this massive wave. The border states are being overrun. Crime is increasing. And these liberal mayors in these northern cities, to say, you're turning us into a border state shows a certain tone deafness and maybe even racism on their part. Uh, it really does. And what's alarming to me is the racism coming from these cities that are, in many cases, uh, have very large African-American populations. And um, many of these uh, mayors and political officials are touting diversity and inclusion. And the minute somebody comes in that's not like them, 
they don't want them there. And I just, it just really exposes that these are not serious people, these politicians. You know, I, I look at the folks that on the left, especially as the progressives, I almost don't think they honestly believe what they say. I think they're just kind of telling people what they want to hear to get elected. Like they, they have this idea that, you know, if there's more poor people than there are rich people. So if I can just, you know, give poor people the messages about giving them, you know, money and benefits through the path of least resistance, that they'll vote for me. And I think that's all they really think about. I think it's almost like they're they're kind of like all Charlie Crists when you when you think about it. And I, you know, I, I honestly don't believe that people like Lori Lightfoot or Muriel Bowser or Brian Nadeau. I don't even think they believe any of the stuff they're saying. I don't know how you could. I think to me, it just seems like they're just trying to get elected, and that's all that matters. Well, in the run up to the election, maybe they don't. But that clip there from Brian Nadeau, I think she absolutely does believe her true colors came out. If you listen to them long enough, their real beliefs, their real thoughts will come out. And so basically what Brian Nadeau is saying there, and I her, you know, Mayor, Mayor Bowser, I'm sure feels the same way along with Lightfoot and Adams is, and Adams sent a delegation to the border, not to try to figure out the situation. They have no role in the enforcement. They were looking to come back and message that these migrants are being mistreated in Texas. But I think that they all sort of believe that this is an issue that the border states should have to deal with, not us. And as you pointed out, Paul, all 50 states are border states now. You've got 4 million more additional illegals in this country as a result of Joe Biden's policies, which puts us at upwards of 40 million, maybe maybe 44 million. These are numbers that you will see. And what to do about it? I mean, there's there's a lot of different policy solutions you could find. And I think, you know, the Democrats are not interested in that. Right now, to them, it's see no evil, hear no evil, and just let it continue. They obviously want this from a national level. Maybe they think that this will increase the number of Democratic voters in the future. Or how many of these, how many of these uh, illegal aliens are somehow registering to vote now? That's right. In uh, places, in places like Pennsylvania that that essentially have no <laughs> no rules on election integrity whatsoever. That's right. Let's not forget that New York City, and Eric Adams is complaining about Governor Abbott right now, but New York City actually had passed a measure to allow illegal immigrants to vote in some city elections. That was struck down by the Supreme Court. But, you know, they wanted it before, but now all of a sudden they don't. And I think a lot of the residents of these cities are angry that you know, this stuff is happening. And that, and so this is reflective of their often white liberal voters in some of these places. But listen, I mean, this is something that all Americans should be concerned about. And I'm glad that these governors are doing it. And I think they should expand the list of cities and states they're sending these migrants to because they're being overrun. And they, they should, everyone should share in this so that we finally come to a, a solution. Well, I mean, exactly. And the solution needs to be, and maybe we do, we should probably do another show on this at some point, but we need, we really need a comprehensive immigration reform package that is going to secure our border, provide a path to come into the country for those that are in high demand, skill sets that are in high demand, whether that's, could be anything, could be engineering, could be science, could be medical, um, could even be less skilled labor, but there has to be a right way to do it that makes sure that A, they're following the rules, that jobs are not being taken away from Americans that are already here, and that people can't just go to the front of the line by being illegal. All of those need to happen to get this fixed, and nobody's talking about it right now. So I mean, that's ultimately going to have to be addressed. I don't know if it's possible in this, this environment. I mean, you have the left doesn't want to have any border security. The right, uh, especially on the, the far right, doesn't want to let any immigrants in. I, I would say they want to. So we're in a tough position. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not sure about that. You know, it's, it's like they go after the, the moderate Republicans when they want to do an immigration reform bill. 
um, saying that they're caving. No, that's true. That's true. They would they would call out some of these people as being squishes or or rhinos or whatever. I would say, and and I think Donald Trump represents that far right wing of the party. Those people, yeah, they certainly want reduced immigration, but they want immigration that is good for America, that suits America, which is immigration from countries where you might be bringing in folks that can help us with the 21st century economy, places like India, Singapore, other places like that, and not necessarily waves of unskilled migrants they're going to come in and possibly be a drain on our services when we go to a more robotic, artificial intelligence-based economy. We might need fewer of the unskilled folks. And the Biden administration, well, we opened this show by talking about the midterms. I think we'll close by talking about the midterms. I think the Biden administration and most leftists in general, because they are quite often racist, they view this as, let's bring in all these people who will be dependent on government and they will vote for us because, as we've seen with college loan forgiveness and many other things, we'll just buy their vote. I think that's a miscarriage. Voters are swinging towards the Republicans is, number one, don't ever assume that a U.S. citizen with the last name of Velasquez is going to say, yes, bring in more people from Honduras. That is a grave miscalculation. People who were born here or who had to go through the legal means to achieve their citizenship they value U.S. citizenship. It means a great deal. The Democrats are trying to destroy the idea that that has any value at all and make people dependent on government. And I think Hispanic Americans don't like the idea of unchecked waves of illegal immigration. Thoughts, Paul? I think you're correct. Um, I think that people don't like that because I think they see that if I came in the right way, my parents came in the right way, you know, why do these folks get to come in and just skip the line and stay. The other thing is the services. I feel like there should be some rule that restricts government benefits to people that come into the country, you know, from an immigration standpoint, legal or illegal, for a number of years so that they know that they've got to come in and work, that you don't just come in and get a safety net and live off the government, because that becomes a reason in itself to come to the U.S., because you're not getting good benefits in Honduras or Guatemala or El Salvador. So there has to be something where people know that, hey, you're not going to be eligible for welfare or Section 8 or anything for three until you get your green card. And, you know, you're kind of on your own. And you may never get your green card. That has to be another thing. Yeah, and you may never get it. I mean, that's so, I mean, we've got to have this carrot and stick type of approach, which will also, you know, not only secure the border, but deter people so that they know they're not going to get benefits. One other thing that the Democrats don't understand is that what are these people running from? We just saw, I believe in Chile, where they had a leftist president for the first time in over 50 years. They tried to rewrite the constitution and eliminate, you know, freedoms and go to a more Marxist. It was basically a Marxist constitution. It failed. But a lot of these people are running from socialism. They're running away from the same policies that the Democrats are trying to implement. And as we see in a state like Florida, that swings heavily to the right when you have people that recognize, uh-oh, I've seen this before. I don't want to be a part of this. I ran from this. And so another miscalculation on their part. Final thoughts as we wrap the show for the week, Paul. Well, it was great today to go over some of this polling. I think let's do that in uh, another month when uh, we're a month from the election and see how things have switched and see if any of our predictions have come true. I think that was exciting. I, I hope that the listeners have appreciated it. And I'll just close by saying, if, you're ha if you had a rough week and, and you looked at the news of Eliza Fletcher and, and all these other tragic stories, or if you're a Notre Dame football fan, just remember, Jesus will return someday, hopefully in the very near future. And with that, I'll, I will thank you for listening to The Midnight Ride. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you're on YouTube, like and subscribe. For Paul Runyon, I'm Connor Coughlin. Thank you very much for listening to The Midnight Ride podcast, and we'll see you next week.